and welcome to the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, May 14th, 2021. I am your host, Marcus Ness, and today I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. I've got a lot of games that I've played. I've got Rust Console Edition. That's right, Rust is on consoles, and I've played a little bit of it. It's in beta, I guess, for a few days before the official launch, which is, I think, on the 17th. I got a code for that. So I was able to access it early along with anyone who purchased the Ultimate Edition. But in addition to Rust, I have War Dogs Red's Return, Beach Buggy Racing 2 Island Adventure, which I've talked about in the past, but it just got some Hot Wheels DLC. So I'll be talking about that. And then Infester, the Wardrobe, even better edition, Beat Blaster. And then there's another one that I forgot about. Where is it? It's something with a raccoon. I need to check my email. Here, here, here's some clicking. Clickety-click. But uh, while I'm doing that, I got that audio mixer. I don't know if I mentioned that it was in stock last episode and that I ordered it. I think I did, and that it was going to arrive when the show was going live, but I wouldn't have it prior to that, so I wouldn't be able to get all, I don't know, obsessed with that and delay the, the podcast from coming out or anything like that. And then the other game, though, is Riff Raccoon. Riff Raccoon. Let me type it in. I'll give you all the clicks. And I'm not going to edit any of this out, baby. Rift, you like that mechanical keyboard? You like it? Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. Uh, anywho, I got the audio mixer, and it's it's everything I hoped for and wanted. I don't know if most people will hear the difference in this episode, but I can definitely tell the difference, and that's important. That's what matters most to me is that I can tell the difference. It has improved the quality of my audio for streams in terms of volume and clarity without having a lot of added noise into it. And what it's really done, though, which I think is, if you're going to notice anything, it is the most apparent, is that the ceiling is much higher and I'm able to elevate my voice and get excited or just alter the level of my voice, the tone of it and all this stuff, and it'll pick it up much more clearly. It won't get distorted or get really harsh. And that's nice. It could probably be even better, I'm sure. But I did find the settings, the levels that work for me ideally in most situations. So they're just like the perfect ones. And then I could adjust it in, in other ways. But I'm very happy with it. It's super nice. And I'm just, I'm excited in general. I got my first yt order in which included well i got two orders in i got my one that had a bunch of charity shirts and a few other ones that i just liked the designs of and then my first one of mystery shirts and man oh man let me tell you the yt i don't know if they're spying on me or something but the first mystery collection one it's a bunch of shirts that you can't purchase anywhere on their site so they must be like leftover stock from daily shirts or something and a tangent off of that, I, I'm still super curious. I asked my friend Enchi, who is the person, or no, it's Inchi. I forgot. I forgot. It's Inchi. It's Inchi. I'm sorry, Inchi. Inchi, little spider went up the water spout. What do I do? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Calm down, Mark. Calm down. Settle it down. Settle it down. I asked him, and he confirmed that they've all been new they've never redone a design for a daily thing just based off his search and that blows my mind to think that they do two new designs every day that are just for that day and aren't returned in some way to the store or in the daily deals or anything like that that means they put out over 700 unique designs every year that's insane that is wild i'm not sure how long they've been in business but if they've been doing that for a long time, they've gone through so many shirts. Can you imagine like, if you wanted to be a completionist, if you started when they first were doing this and you're just like, I'm going to buy every single daily shirt. I'm not going to miss out on any Yeetie shirt. Your house is going to be nothing but Yeetie shirts. It's insane. It's crazy. And it's kind of addictive in a not great way. I, I, I won't buy shirts that I don't think look good in any way, but... 
it's it's easier to decide to purchase one of their daily shirts when you look at the price and it's cheaper than other places it's cheaper than buying one of their regular shirts and i watched a video of them and how they put everything together and the fact that they're a local company i just want to support them as well so i've come to the conclusion or the stance the hard line in the sand that speaking of hard lines that was a great ios game it was snake but better you can't play it anymore though it didn't make the transition over to 64 bit or whatever the hell happened anywho i have decided that pretty much unless i see something i really 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 like over at say fanbyte not fanbyte fanbyte's a website that talks about video games fan gamer i'm strictly going to purchase my shirts from the et because if they have any shirts starring et they should i should make one i should make one for them and submit it and say i thought you'd love a shirt with et on it because it's like the name of your company et uh but just a to go outside of this character, I know it's the Yeti, of course. And I, I yeah, I'll put this out there because if somebody else does it, I don't care. But what I want to do, unless it's already been done, is design a shirt for them that is Mr. Rossetti from Animal Crossing. But instead of it being Mr. Rossetti and a mole, it's Mr. Rietti and it's a Yeti. Because they... Do not shy away from puns. I like me and my puns. I got to get it done. Anywho, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeetie. Back to calling it by its proper pronunciation. The thing that... Like, there are just so many good things I can say about them. It's crazy. And I hope that tomorrow doesn't lead to something coming out and being like, oh, I mean, it's a small company, so why would it happen? But, like, it's national news. The founders... Everyone who works at the Yeti, they're all despicable human beings. And then I'm going to feel real bad. But their pricing is fantastic. Fan Gamer shirts cost $28 regular price. The Yeti, $20 regular price. It goes up, I guess, if you get like a 3XL or something or whatever. And then $14 for the daily shirts, as I mentioned in the last episode, I believe. And then the Fit... Of course, it varies from person to person how one company's shirts will fit on you versus another. The fit is about as close to perfect as I've had with a shirt. I have a bit of a weird body, specifically my upper body, in that I'm five foot seven, but I have a an arm span of six one or a little over six one, and it can be really annoying in the sleeves section and having sleeves right up on me or them being loose or just it can be a real problem trying to find that space where it's sort of like I need some kind of big and tall for small shirts but they're comfortable they fit real nice they're not too small at the bottom where I could raise my hands and then you'll see a full face of sausage belly and then sausage if I didn't have any pants on, but you wouldn't need me to raise my shirt for that because it hangs so low. Oh, yeah. But they're, they're so comfortable, and they just fit so well. And in contrast, the Fan Gamer shirt, the one I got, it was a bit bigger than I expected and not as comfy and as well-fitted as I wanted out of it. They were both smalls, but it, it shows you how shirt sizes vary from company to company and, and how they do it, where they get them from and, and whatnot. But a quick little soak in some hot water and a run through the dryer on high heat got that shirt to where I want it to be roughly. But even still, it doesn't compare to the comfort in terms of the material and just the the size and, and the fit of the, the Yee t-shirts. That said, the Katamari Damacy hoodie fits beautifully it is super comfortable it's really perfectly light it's not too light that it's basically a useless hoodie and it's nowhere near being too heavy that you're going to sweat your ass off and it is a great 
just sort of like, uh, there's a light breeze and I want to wear something over my shirt hoodie. It's, it's so comfortable and so nice. I love the look of it. I love it so much. But I'm very excited now to know that the Yee t-shirts fit me so well because that was the one question that was still out there. I, I love so much of the artwork they have on their shirts. I love the pricing. I love so much about it. But would I like the way they feel? Would I like the way they fit? And the answer is yes, 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 yes. But uh, yeah, that's enough about all that. Still doing the Twitch streaming, of course. And I think I have set up my schedule. I don't know if I'll be doing it every weekday evening, but I set the schedule to just be 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Time as a rough window for when I'd be streaming stuff for Attack the Backlog. And I did dabble with streaming some other things and little hodgepodge variety streams, and I did not enjoy those nearly as much. So I think I'm just going to strictly stream whatever I'm playing for Attack the Backlog. And yeah, the, the, the channel has grown gradually still, which is nice. And I hope to see it continue to grow. I'll hit that 50 follower mark before I know it, before you know it. Except, I mean, it will be before you know it because I'm going to hit it and then I'll talk about it on the podcast. So you won't know about it until I tell you it happens. Unless you also watch me on the Twitch. Anywho, that's enough rambling about all that nonsense. Let's get on to what I've been playing. So Rust, console edition. It's launching, I think, on the 17th. You can currently play it in its beta form, which is rough. If this beta is indicative of what kind of experience you can expect at launch, it is pretty rough. You're limited in what you can do right now. And that means you can't do your own match. You can't create your own match. You can only jump into the official servers, which is... Eh, I, I'm not quite sure how to tell what server is what in terms of what the mode is because I jumped into one where everyone started with a bunch of guns and you just kept killing each other and it was just that and that was pretty boring that was the first one I jumped into there's no kind of and again this is just the beta so I don't know how it differs from the main game I will come back next week with any differing thoughts if it is significantly different but there's no kind of tutorial on anything. When you jump into a game for the first time, it'll give you a few pointers in, in just how you can open the crafting menu, your inventory, and check out the map. And I think that was it. And it just stopped telling me how to do anything. Not even like, oh, press this button to jump, press this to do that, or whatever. So it does a really bad job of onboarding new players and making them feel like they know what they're doing. Because if you don't know what Rust is, it's an online survival game where you're thrown into this world with nothing. You start off in, in most of the traditional servers where it's not this like gun thing. You start off with a rock and a torch. And you can use the rock to harvest things. So you can smash a tree, which can be time consuming to get some wood and then craft things with that and so on. And like many survival games, you have to worry about your hunger, your thirst, your energy, and I think one other thing, your health, I guess, would be the other thing. And you're just trying to survive in this world, as far as I can tell. The server's maxed out at 100 players. That's the total that a server can have. And yeah, it's just about trying to survive as long as possible. If you die, you lose everything on your person. And I assume you'd be able to go pick up your stuff if you died and you weren't killed by another person who would steal all your stuff, of course. But if you die, say, by a boar like I did, you could go find your corpse, I guess, and get your stuff back. But from my little time with it, it's a little bit boring. The lack of good onboarding was frustrating and it just seems like you go into this world you collect resources to build a base 
and all you're doing is trying to build the biggest and best base that can keep potential attackers away. Because I went to this one area, this one server, and there was a giant base. And I walked up to it because I was in awe of it. I was impressed by it. And then these auto turrets just mowed me down immediately. So you can really create a super powered base. And I think why you want to do that and need to do that is because I'm not entirely sure how it works completely. But in these servers, I know at least that your base remains. But I think I remember when people talked about it back when it launched on PC that even your character remains in the world. So if you leave the game, you'd want to leave it inside your base so that you'd be in a room and safe and not get killed by another player while you're away. So I think there is this persistence. I know your base at least is persistent. So you want to make sure that is safe so people can't come in there and loot your chest or whatever if you yourself aren't there. And that seems like there's that's all there is to it, which is fine. But then I think of games that are similar. I'm like, well, if I was going to play a game like this, even though it didn't click with me either, I'd probably rather give Ark a go because you got all that wildlife to explore. The environment is way more interesting. Like The environments in Rust are very, I don't know, just plain normal world dilapidated stuff it, it's it's not the most exciting world to look at it's not very colorful it's pretty drab and somewhat depressing so it's 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 okay I, the the most enjoyment i got out of my hour with it messing around with the beta is just when i'd run into another player and we'd lock eyes and we'd just be either walking towards each other or I'd be walking backwards with my eye on them while they're walking towards me and I'd have my spear out or a hammer out or something. I'm just like, hey, hey, I don't want to do this, but I'm ready if you come at me. Don't come at me though. Let us just be friends. Be cool, dude. Be cool. And they were cool. But then there are other people who just, I think they see fresh meat and they're like, okay, I'm going to kill this person. I'm not going to get anything out of it because I'm sure they have no resources, but there are people who just enjoy being a dick. So what I hope to do, what I plan to do is jump into Rust when it launches officially and I'm able to create my own game. And as long as I can make it private or whatever, to just jump into Rust and get a hang of how I get all these resources, where I get them, what I can build with them, what I should focus on building, and just find out for myself without having to worry about other players messing with me, all the ways to play the game and, and what I should be doing. Because depending on the server that I was in, I would get killed immediately every single time. Spawn dead, spawn dead, spawn dead. And that's that's a terrible first impression. And I think, I don't care if it's a beta, there should have been some kind of tutorial or something that is a more welcoming introduction to the game, especially when it's something that presumably everyone on consoles is playing for the first time. I can't imagine anyone deciding to return to Rust now that it's on consoles to play there. They just play it on PC. And there is cross-play. I'm not sure how that all works, but I know that you can, in the menu, decide if you want to make it strictly with Xbox One players or with everyone. And on that note, before I wrap things up about Rust, it is an Xbox One and PlayStation 4 game. I was playing on my Series X, but they made sure to note in the email I got with the code for it that it is not optimized for the current gen hardware so you're not getting any kind of special upgrades if you're playing it on playstation 5 or the the series consoles you will get improved loading i guess with the ssd 
but outside of that there are no there are no upgrades or optimizations doesn't look that great there's a lot of popping and yeah it's uh, can get a little laggy as well so it's a bit rough it's a bit rough and i will report back when the game officially launches presumably with a day one patch of some sort and let you know if the experience from the beta to the final release is significantly different or not see that is rust which is an old game pc i don't know four years ago or something maybe even longer finally making its way to consoles so that is cool then war dogs red's return is a beat-em-up where you play as a dog a dog person a person who looks like a dog i'm not going to say that word because i i no, I'm going to flub it. Animal Farfur is a dog. You know, that kind of dog. It's not a furry game, but it's kind of a furry game. But you do what you do in beat-em-ups. You walk around, and you punch and kick fools, and you have some special abilities, and it's not great. It doesn't look that great. Let me just rewind for a bit. It is a $4 game. Keep that in mind. Easy achievements relatively speaking. But the, the first thing that stood out to me that bugged me about the visuals is that your shadow is not connected to your body. I hate that because then there's just this huge disconnect between you and the ground and you just, you don't feel like you're actually walking on the surface. It's like you're just kind of floating there in this space. And I, I find that to be one of the most disconnecting visual things in games i really don't like that and then gameplay wise it just doesn't feel good you have your basic punch and kick and then you have special abilities that build up as you hit enemies as you as you butt up butt up as you beat up the enemies so you have a basic one which i think is just like a a regular punch or something your middle one your second tier one is a brief few seconds of healing and then your third special one when you build up the bar completely is this superpower ground pound where you will kill every enemy on screen unless they're like a boss enemy or something like that if they're just a basic enemy they'll all die on screen and then that bar builds up pretty quickly so it's not something you have to be really conservative about which is nice and then you also have two special abilities that just work off of timers one is a like dash punch that does a fair amount of damage and then the other one is a whirlwind attack which is great if you're getting overwhelmed by a lot of enemies all at once but it just it's not any fun to play there are so many better beat-em-ups out there that are more worthy of your time are they more expensive yes but you have to think about what what's more important the cost of the quality and that will ultimately be the, the decider for you if you want a good beat em up go play streets of rage 4 my game of last year my favorite beat em up of all time or you can play nine monkeys of shaolin which i don't think i've put out that attack the backlog episode but i really like that game it has some faults but it's overall a really solid fun beat em up there's, of course, the re-release of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the game. There's Battletoads, which I wasn't overly fond of, but it was still solid and competently made. It was still a decent beat-em-up. And there are countless others I can throw out there, uh, even ones that are on the cheaper side. But War Dogs Red's return is just, is just not that good. Then Beach Buggy Racing 2, Island Adventure, and it's Hot Wheels expansion. It's Hot Wheels booster pack. It's $10, this booster pack, this bit of DLC. And it comes with four new tracks that are Hot Wheel themed. They have all the ramps and spins and twirls and whatnot. And two new cars. Yes, ninja. Sing. Uh, hello, everyone. Mark here from the future. It actually comes with seven legendary Hot Wheels card cards cars they say legendary in the description of the dlc but maybe you have to unlock the other five because i just 
I just remember the two being up front and be like, hey, you can, you can drive in these. But there are seven, apparently. So you get uh, five more cars than I thought you did. But that doesn't change my opinion. Anyway, back to the show. But I, I was really surprised by how dull and boring all the Hot Wheels tracks were. You'd think they'd be super exciting with all these loop-de-loops and boost pads and all these things going on. But they were really, really pretty boring. And it's disappointing. The cars they have are, are fine. There's one that's more of like a traditional, iconic one. And then a station wagon looking thing. And those are fine as well. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's fine. 10 bucks seems like a bit much, maybe. It's weird because I'd say five bucks for four tracks and two new racers, not not races, but two new cars. That's like a really good deal. And, and a middle ground seems weird. I think people like to price things ideally in increments of five. So a $7 bit of DLC is something that would give someone an odd amount of pause, I think, where you look at a $5 piece of DLC and you're like, sure, sure, $5, whatever. And then you look at $10, you're like, hmm, is it worth it? And then when you see $7, you're like, huh? Why? 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 Why didn't they just go 10 or go five? What's this seven business? I don't trust this. There's something shady going on here. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm uninstalling the game and I'm asking for a refund because I don't trust this $7 business. But it's it's fine. Uh, my, my, my pause in whether or not I think it's worth it, and I, I full disclosure, got a code for it, is that from what I could gather, it just introduces the one event with the tracks. So you have the, the new event, the Hot Wheels event, that has you racing through the four new tracks, and then the two new vehicles. And I played through that in somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Let's just say that each race took three minutes or around there. So 12 to 15 minutes. Forget that 10. I don't know why I said 10. Making it seem like they're that short. No, they're not that short. So 12 to 15 minutes. And once I did it once, I didn't really have any desire to replay them. Because like I said, they weren't as exciting as I was expecting. They're not bad levels. But when you have the Hot Wheels theme that allows you to get really wild with it, it just ended up being this really disappointing, oh, these are just like all the other tracks. And they don't do enough with the Hot Wheels vibe they could be putting out there. So that was a, a bit disappointing. I was hoping to really like it. And I just was reminded of how frustrating I find that game because I really liked the first game. It is still probably my favorite kart racer. I plan to play Crash Team Racing, Crash Nitro Team Racing, whatever the hell it's called. Is it Crash Team Racing Nitro Refueled or something? Is Nitro Refueled like the thing for the the remake? Anywho, I'm planning to play that somewhat soon, so maybe that'll topple Beach Buggy Racing 1. But I find it so frustrating the way they just make the beginning of every race into this hectic nightmare where everyone is using a million power-ups and they are not using just their own personal driver power-up because every driver has their own specific power-up that they can use twice during a race and it works off a cooldown timer. It's not something you have to pick up. And at the very beginning of the race, the other players, the other racers will shoot out power-ups that are just the normal ones you pick up from the question mark blocks before we have reached even the first set of those. So they already have them in their inventory so that the beginning of the race, I guess, can be exciting and hectic and crazy. And it's, it's not any of that. It's just annoying, frustrating, and stupid. And it doesn't make sense because I look at it and I'm like, how did you get this power-up? Why don't I have any of these power-ups? What is going on? It, it would maybe make more sense if I had one of them too, if everyone started with a random power-up. But I would rather it just be that we're all on equal footing and nobody has a power-up at the very beginning of the race because it just doesn't make sense. 
And it just makes the whole beginning like this throwaway garbage fire that I don't enjoy partaking in. But once you get past that, it's fine. It's fun, I guess. But the way the beginning turns out could lead to just no real chance to do anything else. I, it's just, it's frustrating because it doesn't look subnaturally, subnaturally, substantially better than the first one. It's a lot cleaner, maybe a little bit more colorful. Like it, it's a good looking, simple game with a lot of color and it plays really well. I think it feels great. The controls are really nice and tight. They're tighter than the first game. I feel so much more, I shouldn't say so much more, but I feel more in control of my vehicle. But it's just the way power-ups are implemented and how aggressive it is and how crazy it is all the time that makes it a significantly less enjoyable game. Even though they've improved in so many aspects of the game, they've regressed in the most crucial part and that is just the enjoyment factor and how they've messed around with the power-up system. I just, I, I don't know what happened. It's It's super sad because... I was excited about this game for years, for years. And then it just, it disappointed me so much. Then Infester is this platformer where you play as like this little alien slime dude. And you have to go through these areas, reaching the end point where there's like a little tunnel thing, not a tunnel, but like a, a pipe that you have to get through. And how you do this, because you're just this little slime who can do a basic jump, but nothing else. You can inhabit and take over any human in the world or in these levels. Let's not go so grand to the world, just in these levels. I mean, you could do it in the world, but the world isn't in this game. It's just these levels. Calm down, everyone. And the way it works is like I just said, I don't know where I was going with that, but you'll have a handful of different people you can inhabit. You have your basic, regular, human-ass human. And they can jump higher than you, so they have a pretty high jump. And they can jump farther than you, so you can use that to reach places you wouldn't be able to otherwise. There is a construction worker or the maintenance worker who is able to move boxes. They can't jump as high as the normal-ass person, but they're able to move boxes. So they have that functionality, or they have that ability. <laughs> functionality. We humans have our functionalities. Yeah. Uh, there is the, I forget what they call them. They're not like generals or something, but there will be these doors that'll only unlock to these higher ranking people. So you get them, you can go through those doors, you can open those doors. There are the security guards who have guns. They will shoot you if they see you, but you're going to inhabit them and then shoot robots, which you can't inhabit. You can't inhabit anything mechanical. So you can't inhabit the turrets that will show up in later levels or any of the robots. And then the last one you find are these rocket launcher, not rocket launcher, the jet pack. That's what it's called. These jet pack folk who allow you to do a double jump. So you have all these humans you can inhabit who give you either a longer and higher jump or allow you to push boxes or to get through doors or to shoot enemies and obstacles or do a double jump. And it just, it's simple, visually, not that special, but mechanically, outside of it being a little easy to misjudge or it's hard to judge when to press the jump button if you want to jump at the very last second when hitting an edge, it could be easy to just fall right off because you didn't press it soon enough. That is a little hard to read at times but overall it feels pretty good and sometimes you'll have to get to a certain platform that you can't get to even with a double jump or the normal dude who can jump higher than everyone else by his own sheer ability and the fact that he's wearing some air jordans you can because the way you leave these bodies is by just jumping out of them and that merely kills them they just turn into a pile of bloody mess and whatnot 
and that will propel you into the air. So you can get a lot of air and reach high platforms and whatever when you do that. So you can jump when you're in the body and then bust out of them, letting them die in a bloody mist while you reach new heights. And it's just a solid platformer. I played through because you need to play through the first, the first, you need to play through 50 levels to get all the achievements. And I just sat there and played through all of them one sitting and had a really good time. It's a, it's a solid little platformer. It's a, uh, I don't know. It's five bucks. It won't take you too long. I'm sure there are levels after the 50, but like any Ride Like a Games game, once you reach the point where you've gotten all the achievements, you lose a lot of motivation to keep playing. But it's a it's a good time. I enjoyed it. And then Riff Raccoon, which I almost forgot to mention, that is another platformer. And <sighs> it's 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 okay. But compared to Infestor, not as much of a fan of it. You play as this raccoon who very early on gets the ability to teleport. And you use this a lot to get past walls and jump up platforms that you wouldn't be able to get to by just jumping. You can also do a bit of a wall climb. And it's like Celeste where you have a certain amount of energy and you will fatigue out. Like it, it has a... Now that I'm thinking about it more, it definitely seems to have been inspired by Celeste because you have that little dashing that pushes you forward in the direction you're you're pushing in, just in the four cardinal directions. You can't propel yourself with this little teleportation dash thing in any diagonal direction. And that only resets if you hit ground or in later levels, I have these little like nodes that if you hit them, it'll reset your little teleportation ability. So it's very Celeste in that sense. And it, it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's no Celeste. It is nowhere near as good as Celeste. And I wasn't having as much fun with it as I was with Infestor because Infestor felt a bit more fresh and original. Whereas this, now the more that I'm thinking about it, is just like a cheap version of Celeste that isn't good. And uh, it's not bad. It's just, it, there's Celeste. Go play Celeste. Celeste is so good. And this is whatever. But yeah. It's fine. It is fine, but there are so many platformers out there these days. So many. I I can't even count. I mean, I could if I wanted to, but like just thinking of all the platformers that exist that rata like them, rata like them, <laughs> rata like a games and similar publishers put out there. It's crazy. Like I'm thinking about Foxyland and Foxyland 2. I like those more than Riff Raccoon. So I prefer foxes to raccoons. You heard it here first. I mean, it's true personality-wise because raccoons are buttholes, but I don't know if everyone agrees. Raccoons are so fucking pretty. I think they're such a nice-looking animal, and it sucks that they're pieces of shit. It really does. But Riff Raccoon, the game is not a piece of shit. It's just a fine... It's a fine game. I was trying to think of a way to make excrement sound okay like what's a what's a good type of shit and i was like there's no good shit even if it feels good it's still shit and i don't want to call the game shit because it's not shit <laughs> is it it's a fine game riff raccoon fine riff raccoon not shit you heard it here first put it on the box quote me yeah okay <laughs> then the wardrobe even better edition is a point and click adventure game that I think came out in like 2016 for PC. At least I saw on the Steam page that they had some indie award or whatever for then. And it's got a really weird setup where you are this dude. I believe your name is Skinny. And you go out for a picnic with your best buddy. And you're in the woods. And you get some really funky looking plums that look like they've been drained of all their life. I don't know what kind of plums these are. Maybe there are a whole bunch of different type of plums, and I just don't know what these ones are. But he gives you a plum to eat. 
It's like, what else are you going to do with it? You're going to eat the damn plum and you eat it. You don't take off the stem or anything. You just eat it whole, which is weird. Don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, that's already bad for your health, but apparently you were allergic to plums. You just didn't know it and you die there. You go into anthophylactic shock, that word, and you die. And then you show up in your buddy's wardrobe as a skeleton looking over him and stuff. And then it just follows traditional point-and-click trappings of those classic Monkey Island and 2D types where you go around, you're in a room, you click on objects, you pick them up, you look at them, you describe them, you see if you can interact with them, you put things together, all that kind of jazz. And it's fine. It's also fine. The thing about it, though, that will either be the selling point or the thing that turns you off, and it became overwhelming very fast for me because it's just in your face all over the place, both in the writing and just the visuals everywhere. And this is something that, again, it's either going to really sell you on the game or make you just not want to bother. This is basically reference the adventure game. It is ready player adventure game one (laughs) because it is just references all over the place, whether it's just in the environment and things in them that you can't even interact with. Like you go into the living room and there's the angry bear from Toy Story 3, the, the asshole bear. He's there. Can't do anything with him. He's just there. There's a poster or a picture frame that has Slenderman on it. There is just references all over the place and characters from other things that you remember from the 90s and back then that'll show up as well. And it's it's overwhelming with all of that because it just feels like that is what they're living and dying on. And for some, they'll eat it up. For me, I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. We all have nostalgia for this and that, and that's great. But give me some of your stuff too. Give me some of your own things. And there, there is a bit of that there, in the writing in particular, but it just can't help itself from having so many references that it's just, it ends up making it hard to get through all that rubble to the original stuff. And it's just, it's frustrating in that sense for me. But as far as it goes mechanically, gameplay-wise, it works. You know, it's it's a point-and-click adventure. If you like point-and-click adventure games, traditional point-and-click adventure games, 2D ones, and you are down for a lot of references visually and, and you know, in, in the text as well at times, but very much so visually and in what is happening on screen, what you're seeing animation-wise. I like the look of it too. It has like this nice 90s garage underground aesthetic, sort of like what you would make with your friends during lunch or whatever. Like It's got a nice aesthetic to it that I, I can appreciate. But I just got a little tired of the, the references and just having all these things be all over the place all of the time. So, yeah, the voice acting was solid as well. But yeah, if you, if you like references and you like point-click adventure games, it's definitely worth checking out. Then the last game I played was Beat Blaster, which is a VR game. I was playing it on the Quest. I think it came out earlier on non-Quest VR machines, including PSVR. And it is the first game I've played as part of the... It's like in the app. I don't know if it's like a adjacent early access type of thing, but not exactly early access where it's not final and they even give you a warning. I guess in the store I got a code for it, but I think in the store they would give you a warning. It's like, this isn't potentially, I don't, it's not that it's not safe, but like maybe it's not as optimized as it should be and maybe it'll be a bit disorientating. I don't know all that jazz, but I, I was playing it and I really, really like it. It's, become one of my new favorite VR experiences because it is incredibly tense and it is a game that 
utilizes and works because of it being in VR. It could work outside of VR, but it would be nowhere near as tense and nowhere near as fun and as enjoyable. Because the way it works is that you start a level and how you move through the level is just by moving your head ever so slightly. When you first start it, you'll want to do quick movements and that'll be your downfall immediately. You wanna just move it very slightly. You move your head forward to move forward, backward to slow it down and come to a complete stop. You move side to side to move side to side. You move your head side to side to move side to side, of course. What else would it be doing? And then you have two guns to shoot targets or these little robots and drones and, and whatnot that may or may not be shooting at you or may just be in the way. And there will be things that you can't kill, but you have to avoid, whether that be these spinning blade type of things or these flying rock snakes and stuff like that. And it's super tense because you will have these tight spaces that you have to get through. The environment will be moving as well in these like cascades at times, and they might be full of a whole bunch of columns, and you have to navigate this as quickly as you can because maybe in some cases the 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 speed you're at is something you can't halt the momentum of your movement and so you just have to adjust ever so slightly like it it takes a lot of fine-tuning it will be a game that if you play it you will have to adjust to it because when i first started it i was making much grander movements and you don't you learn very quickly that you can't succeed with that and you shouldn't be doing that it will be maybe a bit disorientating for people to play and might not be the best for those who suffer more easily from motion sickness because this is the game to date that i didn't feel motion sickness but i did feel a little something when i first was doing it just because there are times even when you are moving slowly most of the time where you have to do little quick movements, but you have to just make sure you're not making grand movements. You might have to move quickly, but it also has to be a very short movement. So there, there is a lot to get used to in terms of how you move for the game. But I had a lot of fun with it. It's really challenging. It's challenging right off the bat. The levels can be super long. And the, the thing that might really turn people off is that it's a one and done setup. There are no checkpoints in any of the levels. So if you get through a level that maybe took you a minute and a half to get through and you see the finish line and you die at the very last second, whether it's from a projectile or maybe something or whatever just hits you, you'll have to start from the very beginning. And it's procedurally generated, so you'll be getting a new level every time. So you can't plan out the best way through a level so the challenge is always there there's no way to make it easier you may get lucky and end up with an easier level because some levels are just inherently easier based on the enemy placement and the way things are sometimes enemies are just right there in front of a door that you get through and you just have to be really quick and kill them before you run into them or somehow manage to pull your head back fast enough that you stop before hitting them it is super intense and i really really enjoyed my time with it i had a lot of fun with it looking forward to playing more and it was probably even more so than the games where you're doing a lot of movement and have you being really active like synth riders or beat Saber or whatever it probably got me the most tense and got my heart rate up the fastest and the highest because i was just on the edge of my seat even though i was standing the whole time but uh, yeah, that is, again, Beat Blaster, and that will do it for this episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Marcus Nez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast and attack the backlog. If you'd like to check out my streams, I stream over at twitch.tv slash pxsausage. My schedule, for the time being at least, and probably... For most always, I where I'm going with that is 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Time. So figure out what that is for you. And if that works, come hang out every now and again. Follow me. Hit a bell or whatever so you'll know when I go live. And yeah, let's let's attack the backlog 
together. And if you'd like to check out the videos I make, the produced videos I make that aren't just me streaming random nonsense, it's not random nonsense, it's Attack the Backlog nonsense. But if you'd like to check out the videos I make, like Attack the Backlog, which is a great video product, especially, you can go over to youtube.com slash pixelated sausage and watch them there. Please like the videos if you haven't already. Subscribe, all that jazz. Hit another bell. Hit a million bells, baby. Yeah, do it. But uh, yeah, that is again youtube.com slash pixelated sausage. And if you'd like to check out the art I make, you can go back to the site pixelatedsausage.com and check it out there. If you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. 